prayer as we turn to Scripture. Well, this is such a familiar story for so many of us. And one of the challenges that we have, O oh Lord, when we, when we come across familiar words is that we sometimes close our eyes and we close our ears and we think, oh, I know this one. I know this. I don't really need to, to pay attention to what is going on right now. We all do that. We're all so guilty of that, dear Father. So I pray, dear Lord, that you would open our eyes, you'd open our ears, and you'd open our hearts that we might hear this, this story as if for the very first time. And in hearing this story again for the very first time, may we hear you speak to us, and so may we be transformed. Now hear us as we pray, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So our scripture is from Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 19, beginning at verse 28. Luke chapter 19 beginning at verse 28. Again, it is a very familiar story, but I do want you to listen. I do want you to hear this, as if you've never heard it before. It's hard to do that. It's very hard to do that. But try and imagine that you've never heard this before and see what jumps out at you as we share these thoughts and these words together. Excuse me. I didn't mean for that to happen. Luke 19, beginning at 28. And when Jesus had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you'll find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You'll say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, Rebuke, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these, stone, if these people were silent, the very stones themselves would cry out. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Three years ago, not to this date, but three years ago on Palm Sunday, 
uh, which was actually March 20th in, in 2016. I preached my last sermon at the Presbyterian Church in New Providence. As I was preparing for the sermon today, I, I thought to myself, oh, I've preached on this passage before. And I preached on it in the last lectionary cycle. I know this passage well. I can preach on this without any trouble. I thought I'm going to pull out my old sermon and I'm going to see what I said and I'm going to see what I did and I'm going to see what I can offer today. I thought this is going to be a walk in the park. <laughs> well, it's not been a walk in the park. Because I don't know about you. I'm going to speak for myself. I don't know about you. But there are times when you take the time to revisit old places and old events in your life. Sometimes there's cause for a lot of joy and there's a lot of celebration. And there are places in those, uh, that there, are, there, are, there are pieces in those old places where you, you, you've got so much to say thank you for. And as I went back, I experienced some of that. But also when you go back to some of these old places and you rethink through some of these old encounters, you think, oh, I'm not so happy about that. Whenever we go back and we look back in the past, there's, a, there's almost a bittersweet time, isn't there? And there's a point at which it can become difficult and it can become challenging. And as I was preparing for today, it occurred to me that although I've got some wonderful memories, there, there were times of challenge. And in those times of challenge, you, you face things that are hard. And it struck me that this passage is a passage that takes all of us into a very difficult place. We start with this wonderful celebration of joy on Palm Sunday. Hosanna, loud hosannas. The little children sang. Oh, there's so much joy in that. We're waving the palm branches. We're having a wonderful time thinking about Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. It's a time of joy. It's a time of celebration. But when we actually stop for a minute and think about what happens next in that story, we are stopped in our tracks and we are taken to a very, very difficult place. A place of darkness, a place of pain, a place of death, oh yes, also of resurrection. But this story goes on from today and leads us on a very, very dark path before the light at the end. One of the challenges that so many of us have in the church, and I think with our Christian faith, is we 
we want our faith, we want our Christian experience to be very joyful. We want it to be all about the joy of Palm Sunday. And we want it to be all about the joy of the resurrection and the joy of Easter and the new life that Christ gives us and the, the positive transformation that goes on there. The challenge is, before we get to Easter, we have to go through the cross. We have to endure the darkness of Calvary. And so many of us this week will go from, and I don't just mean folks here, I mean Christians in general. We go from the joy of Palm Sunday to the joy of Easter. And there's no darkness in between. We're not brought face to face with all that Christ has done for us to show the extent of his love. That's why Monday Thursday is such an important time for us to gather together for worship. That's why Good Friday is such a vital time for us to reflect and for us to worship and for us to ponder who Jesus is, what the love of God truly is, and all that he has done. And then, only after we've done that, can we wake up on Sunday morning and shout with joy, He is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Only because we've made that journey to the cross, through the grave, to the day of resurrection. So, this passage is a passage that, that leads us into this period of time. Now there's a, I, as I was reading this, I got stuck on the first verse. I couldn't really get beyond that in, in many ways. Because I, as, I, as I read this, I, I, I began to think, okay, what is, what is this passage calling us to? What are the demands that are placed upon us through this passage? What is this passage telling us about who Jesus is? That's the most important question we come to any passage of Scripture with. What does this passage tell me about Jesus? And what difference does that make? Well, the very first verse, let me read it for you again. It says, And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. I think in that verse, we discover three aspects of the call that Christ has laid upon each one of us. First of all, it's a call to action. Secondly, it's a call to follow. And third, it's a call to die. A call to action, a call to follow, and a call to die. In the, in the Pew Bibles, uh, the, in the NRSV, you'll find that the text actually reads something like, and when he had said this, it's in the singular. When you read it in the Pew Bible, you think, well, what's it talking about? What's the this? Is it what Jesus just said immediately before that? Or is it something else? Is there something more that it's, that it's talking about? Is it something he said earlier? 
The King James Version puts it like this. After he had spoken thus, makes it a wee bit clearer. After Jesus had spoken in this particular way, but the, the, the version I read it from this morning, the English Standard Version, I think makes it most clear. After Jesus had said these things. Jesus had said everything that he has. You read back a few chapters. Go all the way back to chapter 9. Once Jesus had finished saying everything that he was going to say. It's when what was going to happen next was going to happen. Essentially, what this passage is saying, what this, uh, this, this is opening up to us, is the time for talking was done. And the time for action was at hand. There were no more words for Jesus to say, oh yes, there's some other teaching going on in this final week. But the time for words was done. All, all the things that needed to be said had been said. And what needed to be done was to embrace the way that lay ahead. For him, he embraced that call and it was a call to action. It was a call to the cross. Words are important. I mean, they're very important. It's important for us to communicate with one another. It's important for us to know how to communicate with one another. Relationships are broken by lack of communication and relationships are built up by and strengthened by conversations and communication uh, taking place. But there comes a time in, in many relationships and there comes a time in many situations where words begin to get in the way. Words become a stalling tactic. We sometimes hide behind words because we don't want to take the next step. I know many people um, are, are, are in therapy and therapy is often very, very important for many of us. But there often comes a time, and this is to do with the wisdom of the therapist, there comes a time in therapy and counseling where words need to stop and transformation really needs to take place. Some things need to be done, behaviors need to be changed, actions need to happen. But in many cases, the words keep on being spoken over and over and over again, and the words end up becoming a hindrance to healing and to wholeness. Very often, action is what needs to happen. This is what Christ is calling us to hear. He said, the words are done. It's time to go. We find something very similar just a few pages later in Luke's Gospel. Jesus has been gathered with his disciples around the, around the table. And they're talking about all kinds of things and they're going all off topic. They're talking about arming themselves. They're talking about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom. They're talking about all of these things. And Jesus lets this go on for a while. And then all of a sudden, he simply says, that's enough. And the disciples are caught short. And then they make their way to the garden. 
his time. That's the first aspect of the call that Christ places upon each and every one of us. It's not just a call to communicate. It's not just a call to words. It's a call to action. The second thing that we see in this passage, in this very short verse, it says, and he went on ahead. He went on ahead. It's a call to follow. Wherever Christ is calling us, he's already been there. Wherever Christ is leading us, he can lead us because he's already been down that path. I think I've already shared this with you in the past, but the, 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 we have two very different images of shepherds in our minds. In the Western mind, a shepherd uh, has the flock of sheep or goats ahead of them. And they are walking behind. They've got their stick and they're, they're driving them on. The dogs are behind. They're nipping at the, at the heels. And the shepherd drives the flock from behind. Nobody's ahead. But in the Middle Eastern mindset, it's a very, very different image of a shepherd. The shepherd isn't behind the flock driving them on. The shepherd walks ahead of the flock. Oh, the dogs are still behind nipping at their heels. Does the sheep need that? They need to be driven on. But at the same time, they know who their shepherd is. And they know where their shepherd is walking is a safe place for them to follow. Our shepherd goes ahead of us. We may never have been in that direction before. We may never have been that way before, either as a church or as individuals. We may be encountering things that we have never encountered before. But our shepherd, our Lord, goes ahead of us and prepares the way and makes our paths straight. If you've not revisited Psalm 23 for a while, go and have a look at it. I'm not going to quote it just now, but you look at that psalm and you see all that the shepherd does. He goes ahead and he prepares the way. So it's a call to action. It's a call to follow. And thirdly, the passage simply says, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Well, what does that mean? Does it simply mean that he went to, yes it does. It means he, he was on the way to Jerusalem. But if you look back through Luke's gospel and any of the gospels in fact, but particularly Luke's gospel, because this is where we are. If you go back into Luke chapter nine, you'll find that in, in, in verse 31 is really the first mention of Jerusalem. It's the story of the transfiguration. Uh, now, Jerusalem has been mentioned before, but in this story, Jerusalem changes in its narrative function. It's not just a city. It's not just the holy city. But it becomes something else. It becomes something different. It becomes a place of danger. In that story of the, the transfiguration, Jesus and uh, uh, Moses and Elijah, they're discussing what must happen in Jerusalem. 
I think that's an encounter in that particular story that changes the way that Jerusalem is perceived. And then as, as the passage goes on, uh, Jesus is talking with his disciples and there's a moment in chapter 9 and verse 51 where it says this, Jesus turned his face steadfastly towards Jerusalem. He turned his face resolutely towards Jerusalem. He knew what Jerusalem held. He knew what Jerusalem meant. He knew that on that road there was a cross for him. And he turned his face steadfastly towards that particular place. Now he made a decision. It was a very conscious decision. The text makes that exceptionally clear. He turned his face and he walked down that road. And then everything else that you find from chapter 9 till now, it's this almost tectonic, inexorable creep towards Jerusalem, little by little, step by step, closer and closer. And with every mention, the weight of that place gets heavier and it gets heavier and it gets heavier. Until here, in this moment, he reaches the city and he makes his way in. And at the end of that week, for him and for us, is his death. It's a call, it's a threefold call, isn't it? It's a call to action. It's a call to follow. And it's a call to death. But it's a call that doesn't end in death. It's a call that in death becomes new life. There's a beautiful verse. I've shared this on Sunday nights with the folks in the, in the Bible study group. There's a verse in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. It says this. I have been crucified with Christ. The life that I live in the flesh, I now live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. There's another wonderful verse that said, it's no longer I that lives, but it's Christ that lives in me. You see, as we embrace this call to action, as we embrace this call to follow, and as we enter into this call to die, we die to ourselves. When, when we speak of the forgiveness of sins, it means not just some of the bad things that we've done this week, Jesus forgives us and off we're good to go. It means that all of the darkness that resides inside every single one of us is dealt with. And we are completely transformed. We become, as Paul writes, children of, of, of light, like stars shining in the heavens. It's a new life that we are given in Jesus Christ. Friends, I want to encourage you this week. If you've never come on Monday, Thursday, if you've never come 
on Good Friday. Come this week. Don't let this just be a celebration to a celebration. Let this be a journey through the darkness that is Calvary. And as Christ dies for us, let us encounter his death. And so may we die with him and truly enter into the new life that's ours in him. When we gather next Sunday, we can affirm together he has risen. He's risen in me because he died for me. I have died. My life is now hidden with Christ in God, the one who loved me and gave himself for me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The hymn is 368, We Fall Down. We stand as we sing.